Welcome back to the Hollis Guy Podcast. We are your hosts, Steven. And Kyle. And it's the same night again, Kyle. As always. And we're going to record another one. Two for two. Yeah. I'm bringing you a bunch of kind of weird... uh, I'm calling the episode Last Calls. So it's about people who went missing or were found deceased and had some bizarre phone calls that kind of pre like led into it i suppose i should say so you got that to look forward to but before that we're going to get into the business first off check us out at all our socials facebook instagram twitter youtube search up hollis guy podcast and find us there come on over hang out with us share memes tell some creepy stories just have a good time let us know how you're doing let us know what you like what you don't like you know the drill. But speaking of spooky phone calls and such, if somebody has a scary story they'd like to share with us, how do they do it, Kyle? You need to call us. That's what you need to do. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But you can call us at one eight seven seven eight zero zero hollow Or you can use your voice memo app, record your story, email it to us, Send a you can record a video of yourself, and you can write us a letter, a email, they all a mail fax, us. and just send it all to hollowskypodcast at gmail dot com. I know regular mail don't really work that way, but just try it. Just hit me up on my pager. Anything, anything. Dope. Just get us a story, smoke signals. I mean, you name it, we're into it. Let's get it popping. <laughs> get it popping. <laughs> Speaking of getting it popping, if you listen to us on the Apple Podcast app, please jump over there and leave us a five star rating and review. It helps us become more visual in the world of podcasts. Today's five star rating and review is brought to us by Project Paranormal Matt. He says, I listen to quite a few podcasts. That being said, Some I stay listening to, but most I don't. I truly enjoy the show. It's down to earth and feels like you're just sitting around with friends talking about weird stuff. Great job, guys. Seriously, stay weird. Matt R. from Project Paranormal. So thanks, Matt, for the kind words. Appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks to all you guys for staying with us and checking us out. Like we mentioned last uh, episode, our downloads are going through the roof, like exponentially. It's pretty dope. Because you guys, word of mouth sharing the podcast and just being awesome listeners so we thank you guys for that a lot and before we continue on i just want to make a statement yo baby d how's it feel to lose that five bucks oh yeah he did he did throw a bet on the <laughs> right after we got done recording the last episode Man. He's like, I bet anybody five dollars that kyle mentions aliens four times in the episode nope Kyle took the reins on the alternative timelines on that one. Boom. Got him. Mind blown, bro. Gotcha. Got him. Well, we don't actually have a listener encounter for today. So let that be a call to arms to get them in, folks. We want to hear your weird stuff. Yeah. Send it to us. That'd be great. So I'm just going to jump right into the little episode I put together today. I'm calling it Last Calls, and it kind of deals with people that have went missing, which is kind of a thing that I look into. If anybody's heard of uh, the Missing 411 series and David Politis, he has this whole theory put together that something is taking people from national parks, and it even stems out farther from that. He's done tons of excellent research on it. If you have a chance go to the Missing Can-Am Project and order his books. They are phenomenal, and it is bizarre. We're not actually talking about that today, but I thought I'd just throw that out there. As I was researching, I came across some cases of missing people or people that were later found deceased that had um, phone calls involved. I thought, man, that'd be kind of interesting. And a couple of them, I have actual recordings of the voicemails, and some of them are just nuts. So I'm going to share those with you today and talk a little bit about the cases. I'm not going to deep dive into them because each of these could probably be a case on their own. But I'm just going to kind of scratch the surface and let you know what's going on. So I'm going to start with Henry McCabe. 
In 2015, 32-year-old Henry McCabe, who was a Liberian immigrant, worked for the state of Minnesota Department of Revenue. He lived in Mounds, Minnesota with his wife, Corrine, and two daughters. His family was away in California. Henry spent the evening on September 6th going out to a nightclub in Spring Lake Park with two friends, William Kennedy and Calvin Johnson. After they left at 2 a.m. on September 7th, Kennedy claimed that Henry asked to be dropped off at a Super America gas station in the town of Fridley, even though it was a couple miles in the opposite direction of his home. At 2.28 a.m., his wife received a call in California from Henry's cell phone and heard her husband screaming in distress, saying that someone shot him. His wife attempted to call Henry's brother, Tim Borber, but only got his voicemail, which wound up recording the last two minutes of Henry's call. It contained, it contained what appeared to be high-pitched sounds of Henry moaning in pain along with bizarre, unexplained growling noises. The call concluded with several seconds of silence and a male voice saying, Stop it. Unfortunately, the full recording of the voicemail has never been publicly released, and the only available version that I found are from news broadcasts, which play snippets. So I'm going to play a clip from the actual news broadcast now for everyone. So you can kind of hear it and get an idea of what was heard on that voicemail recording. It's a voicemail unlike anything you've ever heard before. There are two minutes worth of noises, bizarre ones. But very little actual talking. Authorities confirmed the disturbing middle of the night call came from Henry McCabe's cell phone. It was Labor Day, September 7th at 2.28 in the morning. McCabe's worried wife heard the message. His and my cell phone connected. Minnesota Community Policing Services is a nonprofit agency and acts as a go-between with police and the Liberian community. The leader is trying to help the family make some sense of this recording. The growls turned to high-pitched moans. Like, so, like he's moaning in pain. Mo like moaning in pain. The tortured grunts suddenly stop. There is silence. Then someone, either Henry or another person, says, stop it. I try to picture where he was, um, what it might have been like, what circumstances would have made him sound like that. The voicemail is in stark contrast to other articulate recordings of McCabe speaking at an event. He's a state auditor. What is the justification? What is the right thing to do? The message is one piece of evidence Moundsview police are reviewing. The police chief tells me even the FBI is analyzing the recording and voices for clues. The chief says the investigation took deputies here on Tuesday. <laughs> to Rice Creek Park, which borders New Brighton, Moundsview, and Fridley, all areas where McCabe was reported seen or a cell phone ping placed him. Ramsey County Water Patrol searched, but came up empty. McCabe's cell phone was disconnected shortly after that call, though it pinged off a cell tower near Creekview Park in the town of New Brighton, which is approximately four miles east of Fridley. Police obviously became suspicious of William Kennedy when they checked surveillance footage at the Super America's gas station and did not see him dropping off Henry. Turned out Kennedy had gotten the location wrong, as police soon found footage of him dropping Henry off at a holiday gas station two miles away. Strangely, though, Kennedy had Henry's keys in his possession, even though Henry would have required them to enter his house to get home. Their other friend from the nightclub, Calvin Johnson, also turned over Henry's wallet, claiming that Henry had become so intoxicated that he took his wallet to prevent him from buying any more drinks. Which seems suspicious. Kind of, yes. But also doesn't seem suspicious. Yeah, it's. I definitely see that angle where... You know, is it, did they they rob him and kill him? Right. Or were they just being concerned friends? Yeah, it could go, it could easily go either way. Right. If if McCabe would have made it home, they would be the two best friends in the world. Absolutely. Because they took care of him and made sure he made it home safe. Absolutely. But since he didn't make it home, now they've put two big bullseyes on their head as suspects in the disappearance. Right. And S on top of that, what the fuck was that noise? Dude, right? That throws us back to the episode, what the fuck was that noise? It sounds like Predator. It do, It it sounds like he's being attacked by an animal. Or the only things I can think of when I hear that is he's either being attacked 
by an animal, or he's in the water. It almost okay. sounds like I could see that bubbly, like underwater yeah, like, yelling, maybe. Yeah. When that news video was released, they had not found Henry McCabe. On that note, November 2nd, Henry's body was discovered in Rush Lake in New Brighton, approximately four miles east of the Holiday gas station he was dropped off at. Even though Henry was heard saying he'd been shot in his phone call, there were no gunshot wounds or injuries to his body. With no noticeable signs of foul play, the coroner ruled his death that to be of drowning. Investigators did not rule out the possibility of suicide since Henry had been experiencing personal problems as he recently bounced a rent check and received bad performance review at his workplace. Since Henry was intoxicated that night, it's possible he accidentally stumbled into the lake and drowned. But none of these explanations could account for the bizarre noises in the voicemail. The exact reasons behind McCabe's death still remain unknown. I don't know. That's fucking weird. The sounds are just so not normal yeah and if you're gonna kill yourself normally you're not gonna call and leave a, mo- a voicemail and while you're doing it yeah you would um at least i wouldn't think so unless he was so intoxicated or dude i don't know i did it just doesn't make sense you know and then his friends get tripped up on where they dropped him off which is not smart during a fucking murder investigation no, but you can assume that they were probably all out drinking. Oh, yeah. And it's easy to mistake one gas station for another. It, that's true. You know, especially if you're not real familiar. Like, look at the names we have for gas stations, you know? Right. Yeah, Casey, absolutely. Casey's house. and Yeah. Just, it'd be easy to get the two flip-flops. Right. And but the noises alone. I mean, I don't know. I don't. Fuck, I have no idea what it could be. I mean, the. The the drowning makes sense, you know. I could definitely see that being a possibility. But, man, it just sounded weird. It does. It sounds like he's attacked. But then you don't have any signs of trauma. You know, they're just like, yeah. oh, he's drowned. He drowned. Drowned. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's bizarre. And you can go down that rabbit hole and look into that case. You could do a whole episode on it. But I just wanted to present it here for you all to kind of get uh, an idea look into it if you want so the next one I have does not have an actual recording but it does have an interesting tie into cell phones and that is the case of Brandon Swanson Brandon Swanson is 19 years old a native of Marshall Minnesota he graduated from Marshall High School in 2007 then he chose to study wind turbines at Minnesota West Community Technical Campus in Canby Uh, May 13th, 2018 was the last day of the semester. He went out to celebrate with his friends. At two different parties, he was observed consuming alcoholic beverages, but friends said it was not enough to make him visibly intoxicated. So he just just finished the school year, going out to have fun with his friends. Right, have a couple beers. Yeah, no big deal. Right. Swanson left Canby for the 30-mile drive home right before midnight. Just before 2 a.m., he called his parents on his cell phone, telling them that he had driven his Chevy Lumina off the road into a ditch, which he could not get out from. He was not hurt, and he asked if he could come and pick them up, or if they could come and pick him up. Annette and Brian Swanson got in their pickup truck and drove out to where they thought he was, keeping him on the phone despite occasional hang-ups and call drops. Brandon stayed with his car and tried to signal them by flashing his lights on and off, but they saw nothing, nor did he see them do the same. Brandon finally got or finally gave up, and told them he was leaving the car to walk toward lights he could see that led them to believe that he was near Lind, a small town roughly seven miles southwest of Marshall. He told his father to head for the parking lot of a local bar and wait there for him. His dad began driving there, talking to his son as he did. Shortly after 2 a.m., 47 minutes into the call, Brandon suddenly interrupted himself on the phone and said, Oh, shit. Immediately afterward, the connection was lost. Brandon has not been seen or heard from since. So at 6.30 a.m. after looking all night, his parents reported to the Lind police that Brandon was missing. They were told at first that it was hardly unusual for young men at that age to stay out all night after the last day of college classes. And Annette Swanson specifically recalled that one of the officers said it was, quote, Brandon's right to be missing. Later that morning, the Lind police did a search but found no trace of Brandon in town or outside. They requested the office of Lyon County Sheriff 
assist them to better focus the search. The sheriff's office obtained Brandon's cell phone records, which revealed that Brandon had been calling from the vicinity of Taunton along State Highway 68, the main route to Canby northwest of Marshall, about 25 miles away from where he thought he was. Searching the area, deputies discovered Brandon's abandoned car in a ditch off a gravel road in Lincoln County Line Mile and north of Highway 68. Bringing the office of that county sheriff, Jack Vileski, into the investigation as well. He told the media that the Lumina had gotten hung up on the top of an incline on the edge of the road, not seriously enough to damage the car, but to keep the wheels from touching the ground on that side. There was nothing found amiss with the car, and due to the grass and gravel in the area surrounding it, no tracks could be found, thus no way to tell which direction Brandon would have been walking. His cell phone call had been routed through a tower at the intersection of County Route 3 and 10 near Minnetoa, uh, another town along Highway 68. By May 15th, the call had been determined to have come within five miles from that area. So after that initial search, nobody really found anything, and it kind of died off. Most efforts discontinued. Uh, Sheriff Viseski continued to walk two miles of the Yellow Medicine River in that area for 30 days. The Swanson left their porch light on all night, every night, as a symbol of hope that Brandon would return or be found, and they still do to this day. They brought in a team of bloodhounds. They picked up a three-mile trail that largely followed field roads west to northwest to an abandoned farm, then along that Yellow Medicine River, to a point to where they appeared to enter the stream. So the running theory is that he fell into the water. Well, be, my question would be is how big is this quote-unquote stream? Well, it's a river, but I'm not exactly sure how big the river is. Right. And, I mean, if you think about it, the hounds picking up the scent for three miles, that's almost roughly what it could take somebody to walk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because most people... The average walk is, what, uh, 13, 14 minutes per mile? Yeah. They're just casually walking? Yeah. So that kind of puts it on par, you know? Yeah. And if you're walking through unfamiliar territory in the middle of the night, it could take you a little bit longer. And I guess you could say that the oh shit was him stumbling into the river. That's the main theory. But one would also think that if you were on the phone with him, that you would hear some type of like a uh, rustling as he fell. Yeah, or a splash. Or a splash or something of that nature. Yeah, I don't know. Searches resumed later that fall after fields planted uh, shortly after dis- the disappearance had been harvested because that kind of deterred the investigation. Right. Everything started to grow. Dogs on these searches continued to follow the sense of human remains into that area uh, into an area northwest of Porter that had not been searched earlier. Efforts picked up again in spring after snow melted and before planting, a cycle that continued through 2011. By that time, 122 square miles had been searched. In 2010, the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension took over as the lead agency, set up a tip line, and by 2015, 90 leads had been reported that way. By that point, when official searches resumed, the area of interest had moved toward Mud Creek, a tributary of the Yellow Medicine River, north and northwest of Porter. While the trail followed by one of the dogs went directly to the Yellow Medicine, and despite her son's last word, Annette Swanson does not think that he drowned there. After following the scent to the water, the dog continued up across to the other side, along the riverbank onto a gravel road, where it continued north along the Yellow Medicine County line and ended. There's really nothing to indicate that he's in the river, she told CNN. Brian Swanson also recalled any alcohol his son had consumed earlier in the evening Notwithstanding, he did not seem disoriented or confused on the phone during their conversations. If Swanson is still alive, there are other possibilities, although they appear remote. He could have intentionally disappeared, but his parents do not believe he would have done that. Uh, The police chief said he could not rule out foul play, even though there's no evidence of it. Someone could have been in the shadows and got him that way. So as of now, Brandon Swanson has never been found. I don't think that foul play was at play. As far as um, human interaction. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing Baby D didn't make this better. Uh, um, the, other, the, the other question that I have, which would be my number one question, is what lights did he see that he was trying to walk to? Yeah, he had to have seen, like, uh, a, a town. Or so one would think. 
Right. Because the, been... for me, that would have been, as far as the police, that would have been my reference point. Because they found, you know, they used his cell phone to ping his location, which was, you know, a great thought. And then they actually found where he was at, which is even weirder because he wasn't drunk, but he, he got lost that much. He thought he was in this place. He was actually over here, which is fucking weird enough. Yeah, especially when you're off by 25 miles. That's what I mean. I mean, in your in your local area, how does that happen? Yeah, that's like thinking you're here, but you're in Godfrey. Right. Which is is wild. Unless, I mean, we don't know the layout. It could, these towns could be sporadic in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? That's, yeah, that's true. Like, because he could be on a back road somewhere and think it's someplace, but clearly it's not. Right. But normally in your hometown, you follow the same roads constantly. Yeah, that you know? is true. But, and then it said he... He got out, he stayed, and then after a while, when his parents couldn't pick up and find him, he's like, fuck it, I'm just going to start walking toward these lights. I read that he kept getting more and more aggravated with his parents because his parents are like, we're out here, we're flashing our lights at you, where are you? Right. He's like, no, you're fucking not, you know? Right. That's not a direct quote, by the way. And then, but what was weird is, unless he was still convinced of his location because didn't it say he told his parents to wait at the so-and-so local bar yeah at the town he thought he was near right but wasn't near at all right and it's so frustrating that the police are just like he he has a right to disappear that's just lazy fucking police right there yeah that's bullshit it's just they just don't want to go look for him yeah exactly and i mean if you're if you're going with the concerned parent who's like i mean i was literally on the phone with my child and the last thing I heard him say was, oh, shit. And then the phone disconnected. Yeah. You know that that's not good. And he was basically walking out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, come on, man. Especially, especially, Don't be a when, dick. You, yeah, especially when you're in the area where he told you he was and there's nothing there. So on that that's note, fucked up. it doesn't. Granted, they never found Brandon or any trace of him, which is a tra- tragedy. But there is a silver lining to the cloud. Uh, Brandon's mother uh, was so pissed by the initial response of the Lynn Police Department that her son had the right to be missing when she told him how old he was because he was 19 and as of 18, you're an adult. Right. So she knew she had to do something. So she pushed Brandon's law, which would make the required change amending the law governing that the state's existing missing child program change the word child to person. That passed in uh, Minnesota as well as five other states. Good. So, or four other states passed similar laws. So hopefully she has saved some lives in the shoddy police work that was done. Let's hope so. Because them cops were fucking lazy. So, yeah. Another odd case there. Yeah, I would just... My begging question is what lights was he walking towards? Mm -hmm. Because one would think that... Once you found the car, if you were there in the middle of the night, you should be able to see whatever said lights he was looking at. Therefore, you should know the path that he took. Yeah. Because in theory, he's like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to walk toward these lights. You should not deviate from said path. It Um, should be a straight path from where you were at to the lights. Unless, of course, say he ran into that river and now he had an obstacle which he had to find a way around. And on on top of that, when your car breaks down and you take off walking, this is a dumb idea. Uh, well, what what do you do? You stay on the road. Yeah, you fuck yeah. You don't walk out in the middle the of nowhere. It's just so weird, and it boggles my mind that people can disappear. Like that blows my fucking mind. Yeah, for sure. And another quick thought before I forget it: when it comes to the path he chose. Now, I, once again, we don't know the layout of the land, but he thought he knew he was in this location. Yeah. Now, at the location he was actually at and the, the the path he decided to walk, you would think that by running into this river, he'd be like, oh, shit, I'm not even close to where I thought I was. Unless, of course, in the other spot that he thought he was, there was actually a river in the right exact same, same fucking way. direction. Yeah, mate. And it, that was the first 
the first thing that you said made me think that that could be a possibility because you said, oh, shit, I'm not where I thought I was. And what was the last thing that he said? Yeah. Oh, shit. Right. It made me think of him if he did fall in the water. But even people that go into the water, they end up finding. Most of the time, yeah. You you would think. Especially, I mean, I don't know. But like I said, my number one question is what were the lights he was walking towards? Because it wasn't a city. I mean, being the, the fucking alien guy. Maybe it was a UFO city. I don't know, man. Dude, it like, just... It could be... I don't know. Missing people baffle me, but the fact that he was on the phone with his parents... When it happened. When they were coming to pick him up, just... It, that's just another whole another level of just crazy. And what what other reasons would you say, oh, shit, for? I mean, there's You're, you're there's about to get abducted lot. by an alien? Well, I mean, I... That beam come down, you're like, oh, yeah, shit. shit. <laughs> Oh man! All right, yeah. This episode's kind of heavy, so bear with us. It's there's not a lot of happy endings. Next, I take you to uh, Boston, Massachusetts, in um, October of 2009. The case of William Hurley. On Thursday, October 8th, 2009, 24-year-old William Hurley jumped at an opportunity to see his first Boston Bruins hockey game with good friend and coworker Brendan Venti. After getting off work, Quincy, or in Quincy, Hurley took the train to Venti's home in Brighton, and from there they boarded public transportation with Venti and another man to the game at uh, TD Bank North Gardens in Boston. Hurley mentioned he was tired. After the first period, Hurley's long day of work as a greenskeeper at the Weston Country Club in Weston, Massachusetts had caught up with him, and he said he was too tired to stay. He called his girlfriend of two years, Claire Mahoney, who offered to pick him up as he was unfamiliar with the area. While on the phone with his girlfriend, Hurley asked the exact loca- or Hurley was asked his exact location, and a passerby yelled, 99 Nashua Street. Hurley's cell phone battery then went dead. Mahoney said, I got to 99 Nashua Street not two minutes later, and he was nowhere to be found. I honked my horn, I yelled, I looked around, I walked around, and I drove around for an hour. I was right around the corner, when I, but when I got there, Will was gone. Mahoney then headed back south to Quincy, her Quincy apartment. They'd been sharing together since December and waited for Hurley to return home. She called hospitals and friends to try to locate him to no avail. As each hour passed, she began to grow more panicked and finally called both Quincy and Boston police who advised her to wait the standard 24 hours before filing a missing persons report. On the following day, Friday, she uh, filled a report out with both stations, and she and her sister Katie began hanging up missing fly or missing person flyers around the TD Garden and surrounding area. To Mahoney and Williams' friends, the disappearance was stunningly out of character for uh, William. Boston police spokesman Joe Zanoli told CNN, there's no indication of foul play at this time. However, that doesn't mean it necessarily didn't happen. We just don't know. At this point of the investigation, he has just vanished. Whether that was on his own accord or not has yet to be determined. After William Hurley went missing, Claire Mahoney and William's mother, Lynn Martin, who had arrived from North Carolina on Monday, spoke to people in the area where William had gone missing. We've been talking to people in that area and cops, barkeepers, and anybody who might have been around, even homeless people, to see if they'd seen anything, said Mahoney. But there was nothing, absolutely nothing. Also on Monday, police searched the area, put two boats in the Charles River to search the water near the Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital located on Nashua Street. Police said they found some things of interest, but nothing concrete. They had nothing definitive to report regarding their searches in and around TD Garden. According to one news report, Hurley's smashed cell phone was found during one of the searches. That's not good. Not at all. Nearly a week later, Wednesday, October 14th, the body of William Hurley was found in the Charles River at 2.30 a.m. near Nashua Street Jail by Boston police on a routine patrol. Water patrol was called in to recover the body that was 25 feet from shore around 200 Nashua Street. A state park is directly across the river. Suffolk District Attorney Spokesman Joe Wark or Jake Wark said the body had been in the water a couple days. Police's, or police are ruling out robbery as William's keys and wallet were found on his persons during the recovery. Suffolk District Attorney Daniel F. Conley said there are no obvious signs of foul, pl- foul play. Wow, obvious signs of foul play on Mr. Hurley's body. Preliminary autopsy results confor- confirm that there doesn't appear to be any physical injuries on William's body. 
Investigators are awaiting toxicology report toxicology reports to determine the specifics, although preliminary results show no trauma. Investigators are awaiting the toxo- toxicology report. Whew, got tied up on that one. <laughs> report to see if William consumed alcohol or any other substances. Uh, police are viewing the business and surveillance footage in the area. Uh, as there are many cameras, according to these reports, no fences or barriers were surrounding the water's edge where Hurley's body was found. A little bit more information on William Hurley. He was a Navy veteran from North Carolina who had been stationed in Florida. Hurley met his girlfriend, Claire Mahoney, when he made a stop in Boston on St. Patrick's Day while a Navy sailor in 2007, later moved from Florida to Quincy to live with her in December. They discussed marriage, but decided to hold off until they saved more money. Mahoney had graduated from Emanuel College and was currently studying for a master's degree in teaching at the University of Massachusetts. He was described as a happy person and easygoing guy. So. That makes no fucking sense. You're in the Navy, and then you get found in the water, dead, and the autopsy didn't show if he drowned or not? Uh, as of this point, I mean. I mean, one would think that would be the fucking first thing you look yeah. for. Um, the other thing that doesn't make sense is he was calling for a ride and he was on the fucking street and then somehow he vanishes within two minutes, most likely less, and ends up in a fucking river. To the point to where she was right, like she was on the phone with him, phone died, she rounds the corner, a minute to two minutes she said, and can't find him. She's honking, yelling. You know, something would have had to have got his attention because you don't get too far in two minutes. It the, it sounds like he was probably on like a in town street or something like that. There obviously had to have been people possibly present because they went and talked to everybody in the area. So there's got to be houses and shit on the street, right? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, or businesses or whatever it was, you know, whatever it was. But his body was found near the Nashua Street Jail. So it'd be on the same road he yeah. was on. So the river had to been running next to this road. And it's usually just, a road isn't built like two feet from a fucking river. Yeah. Now a creek, maybe. But not a river. Most of, I mean, as far as I could fucking see. But. And like even it just it's just so weird. Like you know she's on her way to get you. You know that she knows where you're at. You're just gonna stop. Yeah. You know? You're just going to hang out until you see her. Right. It's the first thing anybody does, you would think. And then, you know, another possibility that I thought of would be a snatch and grab. Like somebody was there, saw an opportunity, snatched him up, drove away because his phone was found smashed and this, that, and the other. But he wasn't robbed. Had his keys, had his wallet. There was no physical harm to him at all. No, it's just so crazy. And the fact that he was in... Okay, he was in the river. They didn't find his body till a week later. And he was still in the same vicinity. Yeah. Of Nashua Street. And didn't they say per opto- autopsy, he was only in the water for about three days? No. Uh, well, body been in the water a couple of days. A couple so, of days. But, so that doesn't explain a week. No. It's just so weird. I don't know, man. Cuz I mean you would you would think it would float away. Right? Yeah, one would think. Unless it was caught, I don't know. They're just so weird. This these are just the ones that kind of stood out to me, these just bizarre I, cases. I, I can't explain it. I mean other than just blaming aliens for it, <laughs> right? Well, it's about to get a little bit weirder. Great. Next, we go to June 15th, 2005, another case up north, a Michigan case, and that is Todd Gieb. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. 22 was last seen in the keg party and bonfire in the early morning hours of Sunday, June 12th, 2005. The party of about 100 people was held behind an apple orchard in a rural part of Casanova, Michigan, a marshy area containing six miles of hip-high grass. Gieb apparently left the party to walk to his cousin's home at 291 Mount Court where he entered a ro- where he rented a room. 
He lived near Half Moon Lake, about a mile and a half southeast of the property or of the party site, and may have been seen walking along Moon Road. Gibb was last heard from during a series of phone calls between 12:47 and 12:57 a.m. on Sunday. At 12:47 a.m., he called a friend who had driven him to the party to said that he'd had enough and he was walking home. Then he called a friend at 12:51, but all he said was, "I'm in a field." Before the phone cut off. A friend called back and heard only what she thought was either breathing or the wind before the phone or before the call ended. The phone was used twice over the next few minutes in an attempt to call the friend back, the last attempt ending at 12.57 a.m. Gibb's phone was not used again after that. Neither were his credit cards. The area where Gibb was last seen was thoroughly searched three times. During one of the searches, an estimated 1,500 volunteers as well as aircraft searched the area around the party site. Nothing was found. Three weeks later, July 2, 2005, Todd Gibb's body was found in a remote pond near the party. It was reported, according to the couple who found Todd, he was standing upright in Obenhall Lake. They remembered it distinctly because his head and shoulders were sticking out of the water. With a blood alcohol content, content of 0.12, the cause of death was ruled as drowning. The manner of death was un, ruled as undetermined. The Michigan State Police closed Todd's case. One police officer initially provided speculation to Gibb's mother, Kathy, that her son had gone for a swim, which didn't make sense because Gibb was found fully closed with his wallet in his pocket. Gibb's family does not believe the official ruling. They believe Todd died as a result of a homicide. In 2009, Gibb's autopsy report and recovery photos were reviewed by Dr. Michael Sirica, Securica? Yeah, Securica a board-certified forensic pathologist and CEO of Forensic Identification and Profiling Laboratory. The file was showed to his team, and other investigators also shared the data at an international convention of medical examiners. They agreed with his conclusion that Todd Gieb, who had been missing for three weeks, had only been dead two to five days. Despite these new findings, the Michigan State Police refused to reopen Todd Gieb's case. In 2010, Kathy Gieb told WZZM, We can't bring him back with an investigation, but he deserves justice. It's almost like saying Todd's life is worth nothing when we have all this evidence and no one to turn back to see what happens. She's still fighting to get the case reopened. Um... There was no water in his lungs, she elaborated in an interview with Heather Lynn Peters on MLive, June 6, 2012. From what we have found from the professionals is that he had been placed in the water after he was dead. They are 100% in agreement that this that in this case, clues were missed. Okay, so, a couple things. During the autopsy, I wish they would have included a check of his stomach content. And I say that because... If the dude was missing for three weeks and he'd only been dead for, what was it? Two what, to five days. Two to five days. He'd have to have eaten something. Yes. And Which they may have. It's possible, but I don't I don't have that information. So I, I wish that information was available because for me, it would explain, did he stay in that area for several weeks? Because I'm sure if he was, he would have tried eating something. Whether it was berries or, you know, chips that may have been from the party or whatever the fuck. Something. Okay. Anything. Or maybe there was a cheeseburger in his stomach contents, which, okay, well, the motherfucker had to have gone to McDonald's or something. Yeah. And then the, I mean, the elephant in the room, dude was standing up in the fucking water, which is weird as fuck. You know, how like how and he was placed there after he had died so some somebody or something would have had to intentionally do it and you know at first like we talked about this before we recorded and i wondered well was his feet stuck in the mud like did he try to walk through this and get stuck but they determined that he was placed there after he was dead so he didn't walk no so either somebody shoved him into the ground on purpose because that just doesn't happen with just chucking a body into the the water. Or or if he, I mean, yeah, carry on. Or like we discussed earlier, was the motherfucker dropped and yeah. pegged into the ground like a fucking lawn dart? Because if, 
you would think that a body in the water would be floating. Absolutely. Like face down, stereotypical, how you would think. But he was standing up. And it was apparently in a pretty significant amount of water because they said just his shoulders and head was out. So you have to think it'd be at least four feet. Imagine how fucking creepy that would be. Walking up into the doop sea. Let's go fishing. Doop doop. And you just see Sting. a head sticking up out of the water. Dude, it's so crazy. I would freak Which out. Which I thought, like, the first thing I thought was maybe his feet were weighted down. Well, yeah. Maybe someone had died, sure. like, cinder blocks or something to his feet. But he didn't die but from didn't, drowning. didn't say that. He still had his wallet in his pocket. The one officer's like, hey, maybe you're going for a swim. Yeah. Once again, hats off to the awesome police officers. It's just... Investigating these things. It's such, a, like, a double-edged sword when it comes to being older and going missing. Especially if you're a male. Like, I'm not trying to play any gender card or anything here. But a lot of times I feel as if it's almost swept under the rug. It's like they're just, you know, it's just, yeah. sorry about you. This is a dude trying to get away. Yeah, he's just gone. When, in all accounts, something shitty has happened. And it should, I mean, it's... I don't know. This, these are mind-boggling. It's like that fine line as to where does your privacy stop. Because it is true. People do have the right to just walk away. Yeah. But when you have family members there being like, no... That's not what happened. Well, most of the time it's provoked when you're just like, you know what? Fuck you guys. Yeah. Like, like oh, there'd be a big fight or. My relationship's shitty. Or yeah, my something. Shitty or, but if it's, if, if your life is going good. Yeah, dude, dude was at a party. He was having a good <laughs> ass time. You know, the same way with all of these cases. McCabe was out having a good time with his buddies. Uh, Brandon Swanson was out. Having a good time, just finished his semester, just celebrating. Right. The other the other kid, Hurley, was at a hockey game, his first hockey game, totally stoked to see the Bruins play. Disappeared. That's even weirder. Like I it's don't know. it's so odd to me that like he was so excited, but then he's like, you know what, I'm just kinda over it. <laughs> I'm just gonna go stand in this lake until I die. It's like did something lure him out of the hockey game? But that's something totally different. Anyway, back to Todd Gieb. And with him, it's just so... Nothing makes sense as to what they put out as the reasoning behind it. No. I mean, I just... I don't know. You, I mean, just imagine that, walking up to that fucking pond and seeing a head and shoulder standing out of it. I don't know. Like you said, it just doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. Yeah, because clearly he didn't die in the pond. And what happened those two and a half weeks before he died? Yeah, I mean, if because it's it's the middle of July, beginning of July, he's not going to stay preserved in a damn lake half out of the water, right? And you had fifteen hundred people and aerial searches done. The first thing you're going to look for in a lake is something resembling a human. Yeah, and they said it was close to where the party was. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, man, I don't know. Crazy. This is fucking weird. Because I just can't. Like, I picture from a killer standpoint, uh, like, literally the only person I see purposely doing this is a fucking serial killer making a statement, you know? Let's just stand him up in the water. Because you'd have to figure out a way to make him stay standing. Yeah. You, uh, you're not just going to throw a body in the water. And it's going to stand there. Because it had to. It had to either been secured to the bottom or stuck. Because it's not just going to sit there and bob like a buoy. No. Not not to my knowledge, anyways. If I'm wrong, if we're wrong, point us out. Because you would think that once it started filling with gases and what have you, it would it would all float like yeah, you would like, picture. Like they, they call it the dead man's float. You float face down. Right. Just so weird. So weird. You have all that time unaccounted for, and then to find him like that. It, remi- it reminds me. I'm sure we're going to do an episode on Missing 411. Oh, but yeah. As, as somebody talked about the phenomenon, they said it's almost like these people that go missing in the national parks, it's almost like a grab machine. Like something is picking these people up out of the air, just yeah. picking them up, 
the searches come through, don't find any evidence, and then whatever has them drops them back off in the areas that have been searched before. Time and time and time again in Politis' investigations, the bodies are found in areas that were already searched, highly searched. 1,500 people looking is no joke either. No, that's a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And to not find anything. I don't know. It's It's weird. It's crazy. The last case I got is kind of a... uh, famous one it's been in the news quite a bit the last few years and it is a brandon lawson not to be confused with brandon swanson i know this sounds similar but this is completely different brandon lawson lawson was an oil field worker father of four was last seen leaving his san angelo's home on august 8th 2013 at approximately 11:53 p.m after a fight with his common-law wife ladessa lofton wanting to wanted some cooling off time brandon called his dad and set off to his dad house, dad's house while en route, he called his brother, Kyle, for help after running out of gas on Highway 277 near Broughton, Texas. Kyle and his girlfriend, Audrey, phoned Ledessa to tell her that Brandon had run out of gas and he needed their gas can. Ledessa told him she would leave it on the porch as she was going to take a shower and go to bed. Kyle's check did not clear his bank account, so he had no money to fill the gas can, but figured when he got to Brandon with the can, he would drive to Stripe's Convenient Mart and Brandon could pay for the gas. And he would drive him back to his truck, uh, and Aud- him and Audrey can be back on their way. Uh, what is known? What is known next is that following his phone call to his brother, something happened, and Brandon called nine one one, telling dispatch he was quote in a field, and needed help, and that he needed a cop. The dispatcher heard Brandon say, "I ran into somebody," and responded to him, "Oh, you ran into them? Okay." Another call was made to nine one one by a passerby trucker regarding that Brandon's truck was parked crooked on the side of the road posing a hazard I have Brandon's 911 call pulled up and we are going to play that now 9 2013 0 50 and 38 seconds 911 emergency yes I'm in the middle of the field it's safe we're just pushing guys over right here going towards Javelin on both sides my truck ran out of gas. There's one car here. I shake it to the woods. Please hurry. Okay, now run that by me. Right? We're not talking to him. I surely ran into him. Ah, you ran into him. Okay. That's the first guy. Do you need an ambulance? No, I need the cops. Okay. Is anybody hurt? Hello? 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 9, 2, 000, 13, 0, 50, and 38 seconds. No one emergency. Yes, I'm in the middle of the field. Escape, we're just pushing guys over. Right here going towards Javelin on both sides. My truck ran out of gas. There's one car here that I checked it to the woods. Please hurry. Okay, now run that by me. We're not talking to him. I surely ran into him. Ah, you ran into him. Okay. That's the first guy. Do you need an ambulance? No, I need the cops. Okay. Is anybody hurt? Hello? When Kyle arrived at 1.10 a.m. August 9, 2013, there was no sign of Brandon. A sheriff's deputy arrived at the truck at the same time as Kyle and Audrey. No visible damage to Brandon's truck, and his keys and his cell phone were gone. It's understood that the deputy nor Kyle were aware that Brandon had called 911 asking for a cop, as well as stating, please hurry. While talking with the deputy, Kyle received a call from Brandon, in which Brandon's cell was going in and out, and he was hard to understand. What Kyle understood was that I am in a field. Kyle felt maybe Brandon was hiding in the field 
due to an outstanding warrant from two years ago that Brandon himself had just learned and was going to address the following week. So Kyle made no mention of the, to the deputy of Brandon being on the cell phone call he was listening to. Had Kyle known Brandon had phoned 911, he never would have assumed that his brother was hiding. At 1.18, Audrey texts Brandon saying, Brandon saying a cop is at your truck. It is assumed she did such as she wanted to warn him due to his warrant. At this time, they were not aware that he himself had called 911 asking for a cop and to please hurry. In a statement given to police uh, explained by the family, they did admit Brandon's earlier call to them in which he told his brother and Audrey he was 10 minutes up the road and he was bleeding. This was also not reported to Deputy Neal at the scene. It is also understood that Deputy Neal did not report to Kyle that Brandon had phoned 911. Still unclear if Deputy Neal even knew that Brandon had called at this point. Maybe he just stumbled up onto the scene. Right. Um, from all media report or from all media reports written by the Zerber Enterprise, owned by the sheriff and his wife, the 911 call was reported only as a stranded motorist who ran out of gas. No mention of the urgency, nor any mention of I ran into them, as understood by the dispatcher. The deputy put emergency flashers on, locked the truck, and proceeded to leave the scene and arranged for a tow in the morning. According to reports, the deputy drove up and down the roadway to see if he could spot Brandon walking. Kyle and his girlfriend left an empty gas can in the bed of the truck, thinking if Brandon came back, he could have the can and retrieve the gas. <clears throat> they began to look down the roadway to see... They began to look for him, and when the morning came, there's still no sign of Brandon. Kyle's money was available in his account. He went back to the truck and filled the can and returned it to the bed of the truck. At this point, he was now starting to become concerned and felt that Brandon may have not been hiding and he may be in trouble. In talk with investigators, he now gave them the full account of Brandon being on the phone at the time the deputy was at the truck. It wasn't known by Brandon's family. They called 911 until Brandon's common-law wife, Ledessa, saw the itemized cell phone transactions provided by law enforcement and that a 911 call was made. There's been no activity in Brandon's bank accounts or on his cell phone since that day. An extensive search was conducted by Professional Search and Rescue on October 24, 2013, around the area of the truck, but nothing was found. Um, at the time Brandon was missing, he was wearing a yellow shirt with camo shorts and white 2013 Air Max brand shoes. So if anyone has any information on any of these cases, please l contact the local authorities. Absolutely. And back to Brandon's phone call. I've listened to that thing so many times. And every time I feel like I hear something different or I hear what somebody says, they think they hear and then I hear it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the first, the first time I listened to it, I thought he said a sniper just breached some guys over. We're here on our way to Abilene or whatever he says. Because I, I heard Sniper and I'm like, man, maybe he had a military background. Maybe he suffered from PTSD or something. And, you know, he's having some kind of uh, attack or something. Right. And then I know you started looking into it and found some other things people had looked up. And it just, it just continues to spiral. Yeah, it's super strange. Um, I Here's a trans transcription i found of it that sounds it seems pretty uh close in my opinion it says yes i'm in the middle of a field if you could bring some guys over i'm out here going towards abilene on brunt side my truck ran out of gas there's one car here we got chased into the woods please hurry no we're not talking to them oh i totally ran into them they got the first guy then supposedly you hear a gunshot and then there's maybe another gunshot as the operator speaks. Yeah, no, I need the cops. Hello times two, and then that's it. Yeah, there's just the call quality is so not good. Yeah, and there's even uh, a couple people claiming that at about a minute four, you can hear somebody whisper, help me, which I've tried listening to it, and I couldn't catch it. So We put, bold, we put the original unedited call in there and then we put the slow down version in there for you guys to listen to you can listen to it over and over again see what you hear there's been a theory that it is a cover-up by the cops that someone says where where it sounds like he says a sniper just breached some guys over some people think it says a state trooper that they've edited they've cut pieces out of to where it's like a sniper. what it sounds like 
And I mean, it is, it's crazy that all these people were here and his brother was on the phone with him while the cops was there, but there was so much of a misinformation, you know, the fact that he had a warrant and his, his family's thinking, Oh, let's protect him. Yeah. He doesn't want to get caught. Right. Not knowing that he'd called the cops asking for help. So that, that, that's something in itself well, right he there. Was bleeding too. The fact the that he had call. a warrant out and he still called the cops for help. Yeah. That means the dude is in some shit. Right. Take me to jail. Yeah. Just get me out of what's going on right now. And then there's a lot of people who've really dug into this story and claim that whatever audio clip we just played for you is heavily edited. That the, the police... The police had this this 911 call for months upon months before they even considered releasing it to the public. And they only released it to the public because the family made such a shit fit about it. And everybody's assuming, I guess you could say, that it's highly redacted, it's heavily edited to keep a lot of the evidence out of it. Which could easily be. Absolutely. And Especially when they say that it was passed on as, as with no urgency whatsoever. Just a stranded motorist who's out of gas. This dude is not... A, he, that's his, the least of his worries. Yeah. Which is the obvious case now because the dude is missing. So, Yeah, and he's, he's asking for help. Send a cop. I don't need an ambulance. Send me a cop. Right. So one way or the other, something bad was going on, and it most likely involved people, so it's not... Not a not a paranormal case by any means, but it's a it could be a conspiracy case where people are covering shit up. And the fact that they never saw him again, like I don't know, man. Clearly, something shitty was going on. Yeah, and the cop, the cop that was there with him, was so fucking nonchalant. They said he just locked the truck up and was like, "Well, I'm just gonna take off on down the road." See you Fuck guys, it. I'll look for him on my way out. Yeah, we'll get a tow this in the morning. Is- like it's all pretty suspect. If if somebody makes a call and needs help, you don't just be like, oh, well, shit, they're not here anymore. I guess they walked off. And then the the brother and everybody's there, and they're like, no, he's supposed to be here, and he's not here. And the, like you said, the fact they said he was bleeding, that's not good. No. And, and the media reports written by the Observer Enterprise, which is owned by the sheriff and well. his wife... I mean, there's said that. The call, or that the call was only reported as the stranded motorist out of gas. No mention of urgency or of any mention of I ran into them as understood by the dispatcher. Of course. Weird. It sounds like a cover-up. And you can dig in. There is a rabbit hole 10 miles deep on this case. You can dig into it and dig into it. There are reports that Brandon was involved in drugs and in the um, selling of drugs. Yeah. Which, you know, sounds like the cops are trying to get rid of somebody that they don't want to deal with. Possible. Which is... You wouldn't think they'd go that far, but they are people. Which is crazy. It is crazy. Crazy. Either way, it's most likely a cover-up. I'm calling it. Because how... Yeah, how does somebody go missing 10 minutes from their truck? Well, and they're literally on the phone with fucking 911 and family... As shit's popping off. Yeah. Because like, like I said, the first time that I heard that, it sounded like he said a sniper. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Dude drove into the shit is what that happened. That sucks. And then when you started looking into it, into the conspiracy side, there where it said that they edited out State Trooper, I'm like, Dude, that could totally be State For Trooper. For sure. For sure. And how else? Well, I guess the truck driver called it in. Also, passerby or called it in. Because I'm like, how did that cop know to be out on that road? You know, because nine times out of ten, when you need a police officer... They ain't around. They're not there, right? Yeah. So I thought, man, but then the truck driver also called to report that his truck was all... Yeah, cockeyed in the the middle of the road. Which is crazy, too. Yeah, because if you ran out of gas, you ain't gonna fuck it. Well, I guess if you're trying to pull over, but you'd have to be making a hard right to be cockeyed in the fucking road. Yeah, to just just cream it over in the middle of the lane. Yeah. And you would know if you're running out of gas. Yeah, because you should be able to just coast, coast over to the side. Right? That's fucking weird. But like he said, he ran into something. Yeah. So if you're out of gas and you run into something, it's going to stop you dead where it is. Dead That's right. true. I don't know. I took it as like he ran into something he wasn't supposed to be a part of. Or like, maybe he oh, ran shit. into a cop car. 
Maybe. I don't you know. know. I don't know. It's fucking crazy. But I just, that's what I brought to the table. As I said, if anybody has any information on any of these cases, please call your local, or call the local law enforcement. I don't know about in this case, because they sound shady anyway, or call Crime Stoppers. Touche. And help put some uh, solutions to these cases that don't seem to have solutions. Um, as always, our thoughts are with the family of these missing and deceased people. Absolutely. It's awful. But I thought I'd just share that with you. Please feel free to dig into these cases. A lot of them, the rabbit hole is just crazy. So, anyway, check us out at all our social medias. And until we meet again, stay weird and um, don't disappear.